Testament reading today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. But first, let us look to God in prayer. Gracious God, we gather as a community each week to hear your word read and proclaimed. We pray that as your word is read and this, proclaimed this morning, the same spirit that inspired the writers to record these words would illumine our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and get, a, get it for us so that we may hear it and observe it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you, obey the, if you obey the commandments of your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you and the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray and bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land the Lord swore to you to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading today is not unique to Mark, but especially important to Mark, one of the times Jesus makes a point about the Jewish elders' reaction to his disciples and to his, his movement. Here now God's word is recorded in the seventh chapter of Mark. When the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, and do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then Jesus said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. This is the word of the Lord. Again, welcome to all of you. A young boy in a hospital, children's hospital, was giving the nurses an absolute fit. Every day, tantrums. One day, a visitor noticed one of these in the hallway and made the boy a deal. If he could just be good for a couple of days, she'd give him a dime when she came back. We, a few days later, there she was again. She looked at the young boy and said, I'll tell you what, I won't ask the nurses how you behave. You just tell me yourself. Do you deserve a penny or a dime? And his head dropped. He said, well, just give me a penny. What would we get for our faithfulness? And you see, God is interested in more than a few days. God wants a lifetime of loyalty. From what Moses had seen the last 40 years, the Hebrews didn't deserve even a penny. He had had about as much of them as they could take. They're whining, they're griping, they're complaining about this and that. And this was his last sermon, his famous last words. He's 120 years old. I have no intention of going that long. And he's standing on the outskirts of town. God is about to tell him he's not going to be going in with the rest of them. He had one last time to say one last thing. And actually, this was their second trip, as you recall. The first time, 30 years before, they refused to go inside because they thought the land was inhabited with what? Giants. You see what fears do to us? Giants. So God honored their choices and let them roam. 40 years. A whole generation died out there. Moses is preaching to their kids, the second generation, who'd grown up out there in the wilderness. And to survive, they had to face their fears and make better choices than their parents had made. And he minces no words. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Choose life so that you and your kin may live long. The words strike me a little odd. Choose life. What is there to choose? Isn't life a given, kind of an automatic thing? No, not really. Life is more than a biological heartbeat. Life is a precious gift. It is always tenuous, always hanging in the balance. And the choices we make kind of dictate and determine the quality of our lives, if not the quantity. And all of life's choices really revolve around knowing when to say yes and no and why to say yes and to say no. Do you realize that both yes and no are spiritual words? Say yes to what? To greed. Say, say no to greed. Say no to fear. Say no to compromising faith in order to cut corners. Say no to the relentless demands of frantic living. Say yes to what? To purposeful life to loving and obeying God, to holding fast to what God has told us is true and good. Because the way Moses saw it, to, to love God is to obey him. To obey God is to love him. They are linked. How are they linked? How else do we intend 
to love and serve and honor a holy God unless we strive to do what he expects. But here's the disconnect. You look at me and I look at you and what we see is the same thing. People who mean well. We're all a bundle of good intentions, but we all fall short. And we do it daily. I don't like the feeling. I don't like feeling like I disappoint God. But I know the truth. I fall short every day. You've never met a person who wants to please God more than I do, and yet I just get in God's way. I get so accustomed to my excuses that I no longer even see them as excuses. There was a sign posted outside a post office. Neither rain nor snow nor gloom of night shall stay us from delivering the mail across the street, weather permitting, provided there's enough mail to justify the trip. You could just put that right on my forehead on some days. I mean so well, but boy, my excuses just get in God's way all the time. Moses made one thing clear to his audience, this second generation. They would not survive unless they lived out their true identity. He says, remember who you are. Remember you are part of a story that began before you were born. Remember the faithful God who shaped the lives of those who shaped you. Now, can we talk, if, if we don't find being obedient to God difficult, we're probably not trying very hard to obey God. I mean, we'd like to do it better. We'd like to, to, to be more obedient, but we'd like to do it on our terms. But here's the thing. Obedience was never meant to be a burden. God isn't a drill sergeant. We don't obey God because we have to do it, but because we want to do it as an expression of our love and devotion. You know, I, I've grown to believe that the more we come to know Jesus, the more we are captured by his, his, his life and his grace. And what happens is we start to change from the inside out. We're no longer told what we have to do. We want to serve. We want to improve. And this was the contrast that Jesus brought to the people of his day. He didn't, obedience to him wasn't religion by the numbers, blindly obeying a bunch of rituals and rules. But that was what he met in the Judaism of his day. One woman said, I, sometimes I just need a break from being holy and time off from God. That was Jesus' audience. Many of the people he met were serving God with heavy hearts. They were just going through the motions, doing their duty. And from what he had observed, they were striving to be moral, doing the right thing, and yet they were still miserable. You ever met anybody like that? That's not how Jesus lived. He wasn't driven by rules-based ritualistic obedience that the people had seen before. He didn't live as if he were dragging a ball and chain behind him. That's why the crowds were so fascinated. That's why they were drawn to him. What they saw in him was true goodness and holiness. He was obedient to God because he was being true to who he was. Not because he kept all the rules. Because what most mattered then and now is centering our lives, keeping the first things first. Being clear about what matters most to God. You know, the Methodists, like Presbyterians, when their pastors are ordained, they have to stand in front of everybody and affirm a bunch of questions and 
One of the ones the Methodist uses I particularly like. They ask all the preachers, are you moving toward perfection? Now, we Calvinists would never ask that because we don't believe in that. But I like the question, actually, are you moving that way? And the man, when he heard it, started stammering. He said, I, do you want the honest answer or the customary answer? And the man who is examined says, I want to hear the truth. The pastor said, well, I'm slowly moving that way. I guess my answer is sort of. Sort of. And can any of us claim any better? We're sort of moving, slowly improving, trying to be more faithful than we've been in the past. I'm not the man I would like to be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. God accepts us all as we are, but God loves us too much to let us stay as we are. God wants us to grow, to improve. Only those who know how much they are loved by God, though, ever face their sin. And then God gives them the one gift that God's people most need, honesty. Honesty about who we are makes us better than we are. Well, didn't Jesus just let us off the hook from all this legalistic uh, talk about obedience and all that stuff? The short answer, no. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't end obedience. He just redefined it. Jesus put the world on notice that their old views of morality were flawed. Why? Because Jesus never linked obedience and morality. They weren't the same. Jesus knew something about human nature. We can keep God's law and still hate a neighbor. We can be moral and still not love God. There's a disconnect. That was the reason that he was critical of the Jewish leaders of his day and probably some of the lay people as well. Faith and obedience had been reduced to legalism. He called the Pharisees out more than once about their obsession with external behavior and morals. They were out of touch with God's heart. They were focusing so much on what God was against, they'd lost sight of what God was for. And they had become arrogant. And if there's anything that we don't need in the body of Christ, it's arrogance. But my friends, we have a bunch of it. This young preacher climbed up into the pulpit. He, he, in his own mind, was about to preach the greatest message ever. It was a total flop. He walked back down, devastated, slumped over. An older woman on the first pew caught him by the arm. said, son, if you'd have gone up there the way you came down, you'd have been fine. I had to learn that lesson a long time ago myself. We all fall short of what God intends. There's no need for arrogance, just honesty. The reason that obedience is important is not because God will stop loving us if we don't do it. But we need structure. We need limits. We need guidance. We need a bigger view of life than our own limited experience. We all obey something if only our own instincts. Living at the mercy of our moods. The good news is today, you and I can do better. We can be more faithful. Not because God will stop loving us if we fail, but because we want to express our loyalty to God 
And by learning to make better choices, wiser choices, by learning, in other words, to say yes and no at the right time and for the right reasons, we can sin less and be and live more obedient lives. So God's word again today is, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. It's a great last thing to say. The problem is, is the entire Old Testament bears witness to the fact that God's people chose death a lot more than they chose life. And this new land that they would enter, they would one day lose. And in many ways, we still choose death over life. What marvels and fascinates me about Jesus the most, he knew when to say yes and no, and he knew when to do it for the right reasons because it was an expression of who he was. When he said yes or no, it wasn't maybe. It was an unequivocal yes or no because it was his way of saying, this is who I am. I will not be anyone others want me to be. So that's my word to you today. Start there. All of life's little choices that we make really pale by comparison to the big issue. And that is, are we saying yes and no to God with our lives? Say yes to God and no to all the pretenders who would take God's place. Living life's God way is about letting our convictions about God inform our choices. My friends, the real power of Christianity isn't found in how well we can explain our beliefs, but how much Christianity explains our lives. This man had just discovered that he had a brain tumor and it was inoperable. I walked in about 30 minutes after he discovered this. He had less than a year to live. We talked through some of that and and then I asked him something I hadn't really even planned on asking, what he planned to do with the time he had left. And he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and he said, I kind of feel silly talking about it. And I said, well, you don't have to if you don't like. He said, no, I'll tell you. I want to become a better person. Six left, six months. Wanted most of all to be a better man. In a way, I think that's the kind of conversation God wants to have with us. God, we feel silly bringing this up. You don't have to. You already know all things. Yes, but you can tell me. Okay. We would like to strive to be better people. And God smiles and says, I already knew. That is your heart's deepest desire, and it is also the desire of my heart for you. You can do it. You can improve. You can be a good person. But there's only one way to get there. Make your life about me and not about you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word and its many reminders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.